0: Okay, we're in Kings 2, chapter 2, and we saw up to this point, the first 18 verses or so, where uh, Elijah now has gone up in a whirlwind of fire to the heavens, and now Elisha has taken over the mantle of leadership, the mantle of Elijah, he's literally wearing the mantle of Elijah, and now the the scripture here is going to walk us through a whole bunch of miracles that Elisha... The prophet's going to perform in all kinds of different situations. And the first uh, situation here is he's in Jericho. And there's problems in the city of Jericho. And Elisha's obviously going back from where he came from. He accompanied Elijah, we saw in this chapter, from the Gilgal and the Shamron to Bethel, to Yericho, Jericho, and to the Jordan where Elijah departed. And now he's on his way back and he's in Jericho. And it says in verse 19 that the people of the city are telling Alicia that the city is a nice place to live, but the water is contaminated. People are dying from these perilous waters. And before we look at what Elisha does, uh, it's interesting that Yericho has this problem, Jericho. what's Jericho, we know, was the first city conquered by Joshua uh, when Joshua conquered the seven Canaanite nations in the book of Joshua. Jericho was this miraculous conquest, the very first city conquered, and Joshua cursed anybody who would rebuild Jericho, because Jericho was a miracle, the walls came tumbling down over there, but actually they didn't come tumbling down like the song says, they actually sunk into the ground, they sunk into the ground, and the Jewish army waltzed into the city and conquered it, and Joshua wanted that miracle to remain forever uh, as part of a monument to Jewish history; it would not be forgotten. So he cursed anybody who would rebuild Jericho as not to bury the miracle. It's not like he had Instagram and he could publicize it, and he wanted it to re- to remain intact. Yet we do have Jews living in Jericho here. We have it in this chapter: the children of the prophets here, the Beni the disciples of the prophets are walking around Jericho, and here we have the people of the city. and In the King's, days of King David, you have Jericho, a thriving city, and the days of the uh, Talmud as well. We have rabbis in Jericho. So, so what is it? Well, when Joshua cursed uh, the city, it's not necessarily that, he this, that you can't rebuild the city of Jericho, but you can't rebuild the walls. That was the problem. You can build the city. You can't rebuild the walls. And the walls were where the miracle happened, and he wanted that to remain intact, And that could explain why you have a situation where Jericho is a thriving city throughout the Bible and in the Talmud. The other possibility is that Joshua did forbid the building of the city, but once it was rebuilt, it didn't matter anymore. The damage was done, and the city of Jericho was rebuilt. It was rebuilt in the days of Ahab with total disregard for the curse of Joshua, total disregard for Torah and prophecies, the uh, a man named Chiel from Beitel built up Jericho, and Eliyahu Hanavi right there cursed him for it, and and in fact the curse of Joshua um, fell upon Chiel's sons for building up Jericho. But it was built up already, so it could be that after it was already built up and the damage was done, there was no prohibition to live in Jericho, and that's where you have a situation of people walking around Jericho. Throughout, Now, but that curse could be a carryover to what's happening here, that the waters are contaminated and people are dying. So let's see now what Elisha does. Verse 20. He says, Take for me a new uh, um, plate or a vessel, and put salt in it. And that's what they did. They gave him a, a jug of salt and they gave it to him. 21. So we went out to the source of the water. And Elisha, he cast the salt in that water source. And he said, Thus Hashem says, I have cured these waters. There will be no, no more death or bereavement from that water anymore. And that's exactly what happens. As verse 22. This, this proclamation, this prophecy, comes to fruition, as the Bible testifies to, and that's what happened. The water became cured. Till this day, no more problems of undrinkable water in Jericho. Just like Elisha said would happen. So, we want to kind of examine this miracle here, where Elisha cures the waters, because it's not your regular miracle. Usually when a miracle is done by the prophets or by tzaddikim, they try to minimize the miracle, not maximize it. That is, when Elijah revived the the child, right? He didn't just put his hands over him and go hocus pocus abracadabra arise, but he did like natural things. He gave a mouth to mouth resuscitation, as if he was really reviving him through natural means to kind of minimize the miracle. That's how it works, but here you're almost maximizing because you're doing something illogical. You're taking salt, throwing into poisonous waters, and fixing the waters. I mean, the salt should make it worse and more undrinkable. Well, to try to figure it out, we have the, almost the same thing happen in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus 15, verse 25, we have a situation also of undrinkable waters. It's right after the Jews crossed the the Yamsuf, they had just crossed the Red Sea, and they sang the song of the sea, and then they had the same problem we have in Jericho. The waters were undrinkable. They are called meimarim, bitter waters, and they were dying of thirst. They're in the desert. They need, they need water, dying of thirst. And they cry out, and Moses, what does he do? He takes a it's a piece of wood, or maybe a tree, and it says, Vayishlech <laughs> And he cast it into the water, just like it says here in Elisha, the same wording, and the water became drinkable and sweet again. So again, you have a situation where you're fixing the, mending the, the bitter waters by, th- by putting in wood. Now that doesn't make sense. Well, Chazal tell us about it. They go into it and they say the following in Shmot 26. And they say that Hashem, he's not like a regular doctor, that a regular doctor, when you have a wound, he'll put a bandage on it. But Hashem doesn't put a bandage on the wound necessarily. He could put salt in the wound and he'll make the thing cured again. He'll do the very opposite of what you think would be done and will cure the wound. So why is that? Like what concept do we want to you know, glean from this? So the idea is that in the same way that a Hashem cursed it, He can also fix it. That is, if you're going through hardships, a person's going through difficulties, enduring uh, all kinds of stuff, he's going through it, you have to realize that, well, that's also from God, those hardships. Just like the remedy you're praying for is from Hashem, so too is the affliction that's thrust upon you. It's for a reason, and you have to get to the root of the problem and do self-introspection, hitboronut, and and just like the cure is from Hashem, so is that illness. It's from the same source. And this concept is reflected that in the fact that the bitter waters are healed with salt. That is, Hashem heals, but He's also the one who brought that suffering on you in the same way to bring you to realizations about yourself, to fix yourself. So that's also a bracha. That hardship that you're going through is as a bracha as well. It's Hashem's way of waking you up, even if you don't realize it, and... That's why, in what? In the same way that he afflicts the waters, he cures the waters. And so now let's go to see uh, the next miracle here of Elisha. Verse 23. Vayal Misham. And he went out from there. Batel. He went to Betel. As we said, he's going back the way he came from Jordan, Jericho, to Rule El. And he's on his way. And it says, And it says, Young men, but really narim ketanim means literally a uh, small youth, anar is a youth, and a katan is small, small youth, came out of the city with kalslubo and Vit Kaslubo. They mocked him. and they said to him, Go up, baldy, go up, baldy. Now, what is going on here? Obviously, there's a whole bunch of Midrashim here because you have strange wording like little boys came out narim the whole this whole episode is surreal especially the way it ends let's, let's see how it ends what does Elisha do to these mocking young men he looked um, around and he saw them again these words are very superfluous a little bit you know there's going to be a lot of Midrashim here and he cursed them B'Shem Hashem in the name of Hashem and suddenly, two bears came out of the forest and tore them apart. 42 boys. I mean, obviously, this whole thing is surreal. All of a sudden, they're in a forest. They were in Beitel. He didn't just bring out two bears, he changed the whole place they were in suddenly. So, first, before we get to the Midrashim, and we'll get into it a little bit, what's the simple understanding of it? What is this thing? Go up, baldy. ale like the word aleah. Go up, baldy. I mean, is that such an insult? I mean, he zapped him for it, so obviously it's not nice, but it's not that bad to be bald. What do they mean, though? Well, what, could it, what it could be is that if you go back to the chapter, right before this one, chapter 1 in Kings 2, we saw that Elijah was described as being balsear. He was a hairy, hairy man with a leather belt. So he was hairy, and Elisha's not, right? Now, what does it mean that he was a hairy man? It's very likely that Elijah was involved in abstinence and avoiding physical indulgence. We saw that about Elijah. We saw that he went to Mitboded, he meditated. He was probably a Nazir with that hair. I mean, he wasn't your regular prophet or regular Jew. I mean, we saw nothing regular about him. You know, Where's his family? Where, where's his children? Where'd he live? You don't, you don't see anything about it. Elijah. I mean, that's why he went off and departed this world in such a unique way. He was very unique. And Elisha obviously something different. He comes from a wealthy family. We saw that um, when Elijah anoints him uh, that Elisha was with 12 uh, Zugot, 24 oxen plowing the fields with his mishpacha and he left his mishpacha and so he's different than Elijah. So these are uh, youth here are mocking him and saying, you know, you don't hold a candle to Elijah. Aleh, go up, go up. Let's see you go up like Elijah went up into heavens. <laughs> he went up in a blaze of glory. Let's see you do that. Not that they have any reverence for Elijah, but they're they're mocking the prophet Elisha here with late Sanut, clowning with him and kind of telling him he's not on Elijah's level. And of course, by insulting the prophet in such a way and mocking him, that's insulting Hashem's choice in undermining, you know, uh, the the faith of Israel. And that might uh, give us a little of understanding why Elisha does what he does to them. He zaps them and gets 42 of them devoured by bears. You know, it's funny because Elisha is usually perceived as being a moderate and Elijah is like this zealot, right? But Elisha is the one here who is uh, zapping people. So um, let's look at the midrash. if you go to uh, Sota, the Sechit Sota, um, page forty six and forty seven, it really breaks down what happened in this episode. And I'm not going to go through this whole whole uh, Gomorrah, but again, it breaks down almost phrase by phrase what went down here. For instance, it says that the the, the young men they were upset upset with Elisha because he messed up their livelihood. Why? When the waters of Jericho were contaminated. These young men were making a Parnassa out of it. They were making a livelihood because they were bringing water from a faraway place and selling it to the residents of Jericho. And now that Elisha has cured the waters, they're out of, of Parnassa. They're out of money. They, they lost their livelihood. And that's why Lashon bald here is used because they were bald from their livelihood. That's like the drusha here. And they're upset with Elisha for that. So why are they called ktanim Na'arin Ktanim? Well, na'ar uh, also means litna air. Er. Litna air er in Hebrew means to shake yourself off. So a nar is a youth, but it's from the root to shake off. So the Gomorrah here says they shook off from themselves the mitzvot. They were, they, they were um, free of mitzvot. It was all shaken off of them. And therefore they were vulgar men. Why does it say they were ketanim? Again, that is a weird phrase, Narim ketanim. So the Gomorrah says they were kitnei Katneim, they were of small faith, not in stature, in size, but they were of small faith. Why? Because when you lose your Parnassah, when you lose your livelihood, you got to believe that you'll get it from somewhere else. Don't lose your sanity about it. Don't go nuts. Don't go into depression. Hashem took your Parnassah. It'll sprout from another source somewhere. That's what a believing Jew is, but they were of small faith. So that's all inside this uh, Masechet Sota. One other interesting point, though. It says here's the following in Masechet damim." It says that he who doesn't escort somebody or provide an escort or take an escort is as if he spilled blood. And how do we know that? Because if the people of Jericho had provided Alicia with an escort those 42 kids would not have been devoured. So that's interesting that the Gomorrah says that, that they want to learn from here that it's proper to escort somebody when he's leaving or, and you should also ask for an escort because the ways are dangerous in those days and are today as well. But what could be uh, underneath this is that Alicia left Jericho without an escort. Now, he had just cured the waters of Jericho. They were dying there. There was a... Uh, Perilous waters, poisonous waters, they, they were dying of thirst. And he, and he fixed it. Now, where's the appreciation? Where's the spiritual awakening for the prophet? You don't see that. You, they just kind of, Alicia just leaves the place alone. So, because they did not have this um, mystical or a spiritual awakening from that episode, that the prophet was able to do this, and they just kind of went about their merry way. They went back to the routine and drank water like nothing happened. Letting Alicia just go depart the city alone they're punished by having these forty two children of theirs uh, devoured, even it says they came from bettel but um betel of course was a place of idol worship. we know that i, I uh betel had some bad people there because Yerovan ben nevat's eagle was there right the golden his golden calf was in betel we know that it was a a place of great impurity. So that explains why these boys probably came from El. But again, the people of Jericho are blamed for not providing Elisha with an escort here in the Gomorrah. Maybe, again, uh, indicating a lack of uh, spiritual awakening from what happened to them, the miracle that occurred in this city. So, in the end of the story, it says that Elijah, Elisha goes back to Carmel and he returns to Samaria. And that's how we end the chapter. So, before we sign off, we want to go back to this episode, just to maybe another point, that they're obviously mocking Alicia here it, by calling him baldy. I mean, it's obviously jeering him. There's no doubt about that, whatever they're trying to say. And we know that it's late Sanute, it's joking and cynicism, which is the major... Uh, Obstacle to doing tshuva. You know, it says in the Path of the Just by the Ramchal, Misalat that if you want to be a better Jew and do tshuva and be more of a righteous person, to be zahir, the midat zihirut, which he calls it, to be more uh, righteous, one of the things that stops it is joking around. That that the rebukements and the self-improvement you want, you might want to do for yourself. There's nothing like a good joke to kind of like just make those. Those uh, arrows of rebukement just fall to the side. And so the Ramchal there talks about jesting and joking as being a big obstacle to doing tshuva. That a lot of times you might be close to some kind of spiritual awakening and become stronger in Yiddishkeit or you hear a good shior, and then some kind of joke by somebody, everything kind of drops to the side. So uh, the cynicism and late sanut and clowning around, that's what's happening here with these young men, and that's certainly. Uh, Kind of uh em- eviscerates em- the uh the power of the prophet, and Elisha is trying now to he 's the new prophet in town, so the mocking again hurts the prophet and uh the status of the prophet and that's maybe uh, also explains maybe Alicia did what he did, but there will be a criticism of Alicia for what he did in the same Gomorrah in sota. it says that Alicia should not have done that, so if you read the whole gomorrah in sota forty six forty seven you 'll get a good understanding of what went down. According to the Midrash, what I try to do here is give you the Pshat of Go Away Baldi, and we're going to stop here.